Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Leonard. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you're new to the show, what I do is I keep you ahead of the curve in Bitcoin. Uh, I am a longtime Bitcoiner and I talk about the news. I talk about current topics, the general trends in Bitcoin, and try to give you a uh, logical and useful, insightful view on what exactly is going on in Bitcoin and the global macro space. Recently, I've been commenting a lot on CBDCs and central bank digital currencies. And the reason for that is because I see that being a growing topic. There's, you know, there's a lot of topics that come around in Bitcoin that kind of distract people from what Bitcoin is and what Bitcoin means and, and those types of things. Um, back in 2016, that would have been ICOs. Um, going back further, 2014, it was blockchain. And today it is, I mean, we have some vestiges left of altcoins. Uh, really, there's no serious altcoin contenders as far as I'm concerned. And most serious people, I don't think, I mean, they might say Ethereum, but look, Ethereum, it has its big time problems right now. And we can go into that on a future episode. But um, really the two kind of coins that we need to worry about in today's uh, marketplace it, that's bitcoin and stable coins or the big daddy right now is tether us dollar tether tether also has other products uh euro tether which we can which we will touch on here um but they have uh tether gold and other things but us dollar tether uh is the big daddy so i see kind of the modern uh, take right now is that CBDCs are a threat. CBDCs are uh, a way to institute maybe going to into MMT, uh, where which is just money printing, actual money printing, not QE or borrow and spend. But uh, MMT is where the government actually just prints completely unbacked units, um, and that would be highly inflationary. A lot of these theories kind of come from a misunderstanding of what the system is currently, and I have recently just gotten more comfortable with what we see out there. I came, I'm coming from the gold bug side and into Bitcoin, and so I see, you know, I don't like the Fed, I don't like central banks, but um, it took me a long time to kind of understand uh, exactly how the global financial system is, works and how it is evolving right in front of our eyes. It's not as easy as saying money printer go burr. Even though that's a beautiful meme, it's not that simple. So today I'm going to read an article by Christine Lagarde. She is the president of the ECB. And uh, this post was on November 30th of this year. The future of money innovating while retaining trust. I'm going to go through this and kind of comment throughout. Hopefully we can learn something here. Now, if you want to follow along, of course, I put the link down in the show notes. I, I'll do my best here reading this aloud and commenting throughout. All right, let's get going. This episode of Bitcoin and Markets is brought to you by the Bitcoin Dictionary at BitcoinDictionary.cc. It's a shortcut to learning years of Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency knowledge in 90 easy-to-read pages. This book can be used as a beginner's guide 
but is also a mandatory addition to any growing Bitcoin library. Also, by our members over at bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash membership. Become a member today and get two member posts a week. One is the Bitcoin Pulse, a newsletter focused on Bitcoin price action. And the other is a aggregation of headlines, Bitcoin headlines that mattered that week. So become a member today and support quality Bitcoin content that has never sold you a scam or an ICO or anything like that. Go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash membership. All right, let's get going. The future of money innovating while retaining trust. Important lessons can be drawn from the past to understand the new factors influencing the journey towards the future of money, including the possible introduction of a digital euro. Ensuring the euro meets the needs of European citizens is at the core of the ECB's mandate. Throughout history, the nature of money has evolved in response to socioeconomic changes, but the functions of money as a means of exchange, a unit of account, and store of value have remained the same for centuries. Uh, just pulling out here that she says means of exchange as a function of money, uh, in, in, that ties into being a means of payment versus a medium of exchange. It's a small word, but uh, I don't know why she wouldn't put medium of exchange. That is the agreed upon definition or the agreed upon term, not means of exchange. I think she puts it in there to tie it into means of payment, uh, to t kind of tie those two ideas together. But those ideas are completely separate. When someone says medium of exchange, they mean the actual good that is being settled, not the way in which you pass uh, transactions. Okay, so for example, PayPal is a means of payment. The dollar is the medium of exchange. So no dollars are actually transmitted over PayPal. It's messages that tell the banks or tell the account holders how to update their own accounts, right? And so there's a settlement. The good that's being settled is the money, not the means of payment, which is PayPal. So when, when Christine Lagarde here says means of exchange, she's mixing ideas and she knows it. She definitely knows it. She's definitely a smart person. Some people would say she's a evil genius or an evil person. I don't think she's evil. Um, I might have said that in the past, but uh, I think we, by reading through this, we're going to understand their thinking. Um, and I think this is somewhat misleading misleading on purpose. Uh, she's trying to tie these two ideas together when they're not the same. Okay, continuing. One reason why money first emerged was to overcome the limitations and inefficiencies of bartering. As economies became more specialized, trade became all the more essential, and a universal medium of exchange was needed to facilitate it. Coins made from precious metals fulfilled that purpose for centuries. One thing about this paragraph is that she's not an MMTer. You can tell right here, one reason why money first emerged was to overcome the limitations of inefficiencies of bartering. Um, the word emerged is not what an MMT person would say. They would say it was created. Money is supposed to be a, according to MMT, money is a creation of the state. The governments, some government in the past cre was the first one to create money. And then since that time, every money has been created by the government. There is no such thing as a, a 
uh, emergent money, not according to MMT. So, okay, just to put that out there, she is not agreeing with MMT here. But with the development of international trade, coins became increasingly impractical because they are difficult to store and transport in large volumes. This isn't really the case. I mean, the real, uh, the Spanish real was used for hundreds of years. They actually sent them on boats and, you know, there's shipwrecks and this is all like the treasure hunting stuff of, of the age of exploration. Uh, and that went all the way up until the middle of the 19th century, you know, around the Civil War in the U.S., um, we were still on um, silver, uh, Spanish reals were still legal tender. So no, this, it was used throughout the world. The Spanish reals, it was the global reserve standard. And so yes, international trade was actually, uh, created or, uh, stimulated by having a world reserve currency. That's one of the things prior to the Spanish real, there was nothing, there was no currency that was global. Once the Spanish real was made global, they, they created international trade and it was created because of the Spanish real was accepted all these places. So yeah. So the development of international trade was made by a coin. And then maybe you could say a couple hundred years later, it started becoming impractical, um, but not you know, it was bootstrapped by a single coin. Okay, sorry. I'm getting a little bit long right here in the beginning. I don't mean to. Let's continue. This led to the next phase in the evolution of money through medieval times into the late Middle Ages and early modern times. Developments included the advent of Templar's credit notes in France, private gyro banking in Italy, bills of exchange and promissory notes, and the first predecessors of paper money. The role of public sector debt. All of these instruments foresaw convertibility into precious metal coins. The acceptance of these forms of dematerialized and easy-to-carry money depended on the reputation of the issuer and credit risk became relevant. That's very important. Uh, reputation of issuer and credit risk. We will touch on that here a little bit later. This led to the public sector playing an increasingly important role in issuing money and ensuring its value remained stable. Examples include the emergence of early public gyro banks at the beginning of the 15th century and the first attempts to issue modern banknotes in the second half of the 17th century. In today's modern economies, including the euro area, money is no longer convertible into or backed by any commodity. Um, I don't think that's exactly true. I mean, it is backed, uh, it's, it's not a commodity, I guess, but it's backed by debt. Okay. Um, it's not convertible into any other good because it is the good. It is the debt. This is similar to gold. Obviously you don't convert a gold coin into gold because it's already gold. So, um, but the difference would be, you know, in gold, you're trusting mother nature. You're trusting that 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 those gold atoms are gold atoms or that they will remain gold atoms. And it's highly probable that they will remain exactly the way they are for a very long time. Um, and in the case of fiat um, or debt, you trust in the sovereign or, or the issuer that they won't change the money or that they will stay solvent, right? So you're trusting, instead of trusting mother nature, um, like you do in gold and Bitcoin, by the way, uh, but we'll get into that later. Um, you're trusting the 
the sovereign. So let's continue here. Fiat money, as it is known, serves as legal tender by decree of the government and even constitutional legislation, such as the EU treaty. The value of money is based on citizens' trust in it being generally accepted for all forms of economic exchange and in the ability of central banks to maintain its purchasing power through monetary policy. Central banks' institutional in independence also bolsters the ability to maintain trust in money. So here's a couple things on these few sentences. So, um, accepted for all forms of economic exchange. That's another way of saying it's liquid and it's saleable. It is the most saleable good. Money is the most saleable good. And here she's saying that it is generally accepted for all forms of economic exchange. I mean, the Austrians would totally agree with this. Now, the, the sentence about central banks, their institutional independence also, also bolsters the ability to maintain trust in the money. Uh, this part is extremely important to understand because some people are claiming that central banks or the, I guess, governments will consume the central banks. Um, my recent interview with Jeff Booth, and that's what he's saying is that, you know, this, the treasury departments in these other countries will consume the central banks and then they will do MMT sort of thing. And that's what uh, Simon Dixon is saying. That's what others are saying. But I think it's important to understand here what a central banker is saying. A very powerful and well-connected central banker. She is one of probably the top five connected central bankers in the world. And she is saying that central banks' institutional independence bolsters their ability to maintain, maintain trust in money. So let's see. Would, what is the approval rating of the U.S. Congress? Single digits? In the U.S., this the recent presidential election, 50% of all voters, not Republican or Democrat, but all voters, think that it was fraudulent. The trust in the government is very, very low. There's no way that they, like the Treasury consuming the Fed is going to increase the ability to you know, maintain value of the money. It's going to harm it dramatically. And they know that. The central bankers know it. They will tell the politicians. Um, in, in a case where it's government versus banks, well, that's a, that's a really deep rabbit hole to go down. Um, but even if we break it down further and say banks versus central banks, right? If it's a war between the central banks and the banks, um, banks will win. The central banks will lose. So really the control is in the hands of the banks. And it, it becomes even worse when you think about how much this uh, globalization and how much the entire global economy is interconnected, right? The reason why we have to bail out or they have to bail out the banks in 2008 and why they have to do all of these QE operations from 2003 in Japan all the way to today is because the way that the financial system exists and it exists as a uh, interconnected web of financial of relationships. And if you start trying to break those down, or if they do start breaking down, it's not a matter of, oh, we're going to have a recession where the economy shrinks by 25% and then we turn around right away. The economy will shrink by 90%. The global economy, a billion people will starve. 
and a billion others will go homeless. It will be, and there will be wars, civil wars breaking out, international conflicts. That's because the way the financial system is set up, there is no way to unwind it. There is one way, and that is if it goes to a new system slowly, like it goes to Bitcoin slowly. These people will slowly trickle over, right? And Bitcoin will build up and it will have its own infrastructure, a parallel financial system. This parallel financial system will slowly get 50% or more of global trade and then it will take over. But look, we're, we're far away from that. But it will happen very quickly in, you know, relatively speaking. It can happen. Like how long has it been since 2008? 12 years. Well, in the next 12 years, Bitcoin will be at this point where it's taking over. So it can, it, in the grand scheme, it will happen quickly, but it will feel slow because we will be stagnating. We'll just hear over and over about how the next program that's coming out, there's going to be all this political back and forth. Can we get support for this bill? We need support for this bill. People are suffering. And, you know, just on and on and on. But throughout that whole time, Bitcoin infrastructure will be building out, right? But anyway, so let's take it back to this. Central banks' institutional independence also bolsters their ability to maintain trust in money. Since early modern times, central banks have gradually been assuming an increasingly pivotal role in ensuring that money delivers on the three functions I outlined. They must be fully aware of and adapt to changing realities. Technological progress. As we enter the digital age, the nature of money, but also of goods and services, is changing quickly. Digitalization and technological advances are transforming all areas of society, accelerating the process of dematerialization. Non-cash payments continue to increase. In the euro area over the last year, the total number increased by 8.1%, to 98 billion. Nearly half of these transactions were made by card, followed by credit transfers and direct deposits, or sorry, direct debits. The coronavirus pandemic has accelerated this trend towards digitalization. With a surge in online payments and a shift toward contactless payments in shops. Market participants expect payments to be the financial service that will be the most affected by technological innovation and competition over the next five years, according to a survey conducted in 2019, so pre-pandemic even. Um, there, she's slightly, I mean, there's a sleight of hand here going on. So the question that they asked is what um, financial service will be affected most by technological innovation? And so, of course, I mean, what other kind of financial service is there but payments? I mean, that's the main one. And so, yeah, of course, the market participants will expect payments to be the most affected financial service. But money is not necessarily a financial service, right? That doesn't describe money. Payments are a feature. What if you asked market participants in this question instead? Um, what do they expect to happen with money over the next five years? And I bet a lot of them will say, you know, it will go more towards decentralization or Bitcoin. I'm guessing that's what they would say. So uh, it's, it's a, they, they kind of pigeonholed the answer by asking the question about financial service instead about money itself. Okay, let's continue. To, to, meet, to meet the demand for digital means of payment, 
new forms of private money, i.e. a liability of private entities, have emerged. They are available as commercial bank deposits, which can be used for transfers and direct deposits, and as electronic money through credit cards and mobile payment apps. Now, I think that, look, this private money she's talking about, you know, available as commercial bank deposits, um, that is most of what money is. I, and they're not emerging to meet the demand for d digital means of payments. Uh, they're routing around the regulation and other things. It's, it's a natural market process. It's not to meet specifically demands for payment. The demand is for a free flow of payments, not of specifically digital payments. So, um, I mean, that's a small point, but I had to bring it up. Okay, continuing. In the euro area, the euro system's supervision mechanisms ensure commercial banks and payment service providers are effective and safe. This enables people to continue to have confidence in private money, which remains an integral part of our financial system. Um, the primary hurdle for payments is this supervision mechanism, or are the supervision mechanisms. You know, payments are trivial, people. Payments are trivial. Anybody can build an Excel spreadsheet to track payments. Anybody can build a simple database to track payments. And they can use cryptography, you know, and make it secure with SSL and all of the other, you know, HTTPS and, and all this stuff. They can make it secure with crypto. And it can just be a stupid little da database. So payments are trivial. What's not trivial is routing around regulation. So the exact reason why that uh, there's demand, that they're feeling this demand is because <laughs> of these supervision mechanisms. They are the problem. Of course, they would never admit that. This enables people to continue to have confidence in private money, which remains an integral part of our financial system. They would have confidence in private money regardless. Okay, regardless. Money is the most saleable good. <laughs> you have confidence in money because it's the most saleable good. You know, you have the empirical uh, experience to say that this is money. Right? That's why you have confidence in it. Not because some bureaucrat or some banker told you you need to have confidence in this. They have confidence because it's the most saleable good. Uh. <laughs> I mean... The central bankers think they know so much. The ECB especially thinks they know so much. But look, they they have gone into, they've had a crisis, a financial crisis or a, a debt crisis in Europe almost every other year, maybe every third year on average for the last 20 years. Uh, it's very normal for them to screw up everything. Look, if they were able to do what they they say they can do, why would that be the case? You know, none of their programs actually work. It is hilarious. They they just did this 1.8, I think it was 1.8 trillion dollar uh, rescue package for this coronavirus stuff, and everyone's thinking it was going to be inflationary. And now they have the worst deflation ever since the euro was created 20 years ago. So they, you know, they don't know what is going to cause inflation. 
They don't know what causes deflation. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what the financial system is. They don't know how it works. It's, it sounds silly to say that, but they don't know how the financial system works. Central banks are not central. But central bank money in digital form is not is still not available for retail payments. I don't know what central bank money is. She just throws this. She just starts right here saying central bank money. Um, so she's talking about private money, which I think is most money. Um, and then, you know, central bank money is not available in digital form. Private bank money is all there is. There is no such thing as central bank money. <laughs> they go from one crisis to the next. Come on, people. All right. What's next? Digital euro. Finally, we get into the digital euro here. The ECB wants to ensure the euro remains fit for the digital era. Early this year, the governing council decided to explore the possibility of issuing a digital euro, digital central bank money for retail payments, in other words. The euro system is asserting the implications, sorry, the euro system is assessing the implications of the potential introduction of a digital euro, which in legal terms would be a liability of the central bank. In October, the ECB published a report on a digital euro and launched a public consultation. So the part here about legal terms, uh, in legal terms, this would be a liability of the central bank, these digital euros. Uh, this is a very key point. Instead of uh, only printing non-fungible reserves, now that's what QE is, right? They're, they quote-unquote print reserves and they buy assets with those non-fungible reserves. They are non-fungible. They're one use only. And that use is in quantitative easing. That's it. They are non-fungible. Um, so instead of just being able to print reserves, they want to be able to print retail money. They want to transform their powers. Completely change the role of the central bank from printing reserves into printing real money for people to go and spend. That's what this is. This is a complete revolution in banking, in central banking. I don't think they realize yet how dramatic this change is. Like I said, they don't understand the system, the way it works. And now they're wanting to do this new type of money, this new, have this new power. I don't think they realize how dramatic this is. Um, because they don't realize even in the first place what they're doing here. That reserves are non-fungible and they want to replace that with a fungible form of money. So until they say it like that, right? Until they understand exactly what they're proposing here, um, they, they do know that it would be bad to lose control, right? And I think they will eventually see that before they go down this path. Uh, and so they'll eventually learn what they're doing or they'll get a clue. <laughs> and that's what I've been saying for a long time is um, that we will get to watch them in real time learning about this technology, learning about the financial system just like we are. So anyway, it's very dangerous to give them this power. And I think they will realize this. At least I hope they do. But I'll be following it here on Bitcoin and Market so you can always listen to me to see what they're thinking and uh, how close we are to this inevitability. Right now, we're not very close at all. They, they have no idea. They're just starting this consultation. 
She said in another interview that I saw with her that, you know, I think it's January, February next year, they're going to decide whether to go forward or not. But as we'll see, as we keep, keep reading this, they don't really know what kind of design they're going for. They don't, they're so far behind the regular Bitcoiner out there that it's going to take years, years, four to five years before they do anything. And in that time, we'll be able to watch it all happen in real time, right? And they'll learn along the way. Nothing will make you learn faster than failure, and they're going to fail a lot. Okay, let's continue with this. But why issue a digital euro if other forms of private digital money are already available? Central bank money is unique. Oh, really? Let's, let's see <laughs> how that is. It provides people with unrestricted access to a simple, essentially risk-free, and trusted means of payment they can use for any basic transaction. But for retail use, it is currently only offered physically in the form of cash. Okay, again, she says means of payment here, which is not a function of money. That is a feature built on top of the money. She's saying central bank money is a means of payment. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> I mean, this is so beyond idiotic, okay, that she's comparing central bank money to PayPal database entries. That's what she's saying right here. Quote, only offered physically in the form of cash. So, yes, central bank money, I mean, you could consider cash as central bank money, notes and coins. Um, and they're extend, uh, attempting to expand physical cash into would you say electronic cash? <laughs> I laugh because that's what the Bitcoin white paper says. The headline is electronic cash. Um, cash is an extension of government, though. It's not an extension of, I mean, cash as we have it today is an extension of government. It's not a central bank thing. The government lent the central bank this power to create money, not um, the central bank. It's like uniquely a central bank feature. Okay, the government did that. So what she's saying, she's admitting here that central banks are just a middleman from the government. Um, so anyway, yeah, Bitcoin is electronic cash. So she does say Bitcoin here in a minute, but look, this is all about Bitcoin. <laughs> Continuing, a digital euro would complement cash. Oh, that's good to hear and ensure that customers continue to have unrestricted access to central bank money in a form that meets their evolving digital payment needs. Once again, she says digital payments. They're, that is the extent of her understanding here. There's plenty of ways to spend digital euros. <laughs> Don't think for a second that there's no way to spend digital euros. You can spend it any way you want. There's hundreds of ways probably to spend digital euros. You don't need a central bank digital currency to spend digital euros. It doesn't, it's a technological problem. It's trivial. Payments are trivial, people. All right, let's continue. It could be important in a range of future scenarios, from a decline in the use of cash to preempting the uptake of foreign digital currencies in the euro area. I'll read that one one more time because it's very important. Preempting the uptake of foreign digital currencies in the euro area. Huge, huge admission here. So it's defensive. It's defensive. They, they're trying to keep U.S. dollar stable coins out of their market. They're scared 
that a U.S. dollar stablecoin or possibly like a digital uh, yen or even a digital uh, Chinese yuan will take market share away from the euro. So that is the main thing. Or even a Facebook U.S. dollar. That's what she's saying here. Okay, continuing. Issuing a digital euro might become necessary to ensure both continued access to central bank money and monetary sovereignty. So monetary sovereignty means control over their own currency. Um, that This whole paragraph uh, is saying that they are terrified that they're going to lose market share in their own economies to other stable coins. That is their fear. And it's very, very interesting here. So why not let the free market do this? Why not let the free market provide a digital euro? It's providing a digital dollar in the form of Tether. There's about $25 billion worth of stable coins right now in digital dollars. So why not let the free market provide digital euros? Well, because it's not. Money is convergent. So there's, I think there's like maybe 10 or 20 million euros in the digital euro, euro tether, a very, very little uptake. I mean, if, if we saw it on par, like let's say there's 20 billion euros in the euro tether, they probably wouldn't be as worried about this, that they need to uh, provide their own digital euro. Because the market's not providing it. Because money is convergent. So they're very scared. Very, very scared here. This whole paragraph is an admission of why they're doing this in the first place. Because they're scared they're going to lose market share. And they won't be able to guarantee monetary sovereignty. Which is a weird term in the first place because money should be provided by the market. Everybody should have monetary sovereignty to pick what money they want to use. And it's convergent so the people the more people that pick a certain money um you know like network effects the more people that pick it the exponentially better that they are and so more people will decide to pick that and then the exponentially better everyone is um it's convergent they're terrified here to lose monetary control of their money interesting and th yeah that does explain why powell and the fed does not seem worried they don't seem and I've said this for weeks. I mean, gosh, on FedWatch, we've gone back uh, for a long time listening to Powell talk about how, oh, wait and see approach. They don't care about being first mover, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because they have Tether, because they have the dominant coin right now in these in this stablecoin wars. And they're not worried about losing market share because if it's a free market, everyone's going to go onto a digital dollar and, of course, then a digital Bitcoin. Okay, continuing, a properly designed digital euro would create synergies with the payments industry and enable the private sector to build business, build new businesses based on digital euro related services. Um, do they even know what properly designed is? No, they don't. They have no idea. No idea what properly designed even means. But they know if it is properly designed, they, they think that there is a best way to design it and they will figure it out. And so, yes, if it's properly designed, they will be able to create synergies. Well, sorry guys, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is properly designed. You will always be second best to that. 
a digital euro would also be an emblem oh man of the ongoing process of european integration and ultimately help the uh, to unify europe's digital economies no guys europe is dead have you just recently i've heard all of this stuff about europe now the euro is stuck in deflation they have the worst deflation ever even after they continue to print doing all it takes trillions and trillions of euros and it keeps getting worse the rates keep wanting to go more negative it's more and more deflation they can't get out of it and now all of this profligacy and all this high debt um some court in germany said no we don't want to do this this is not according to the treaty and they push back uh, so this is one faction within the german government uh, and then you know other countries like poland and hungary they don't want to take on any debt they don't want to do all this kind of exotic financialization stuff and so they're pushing back a lot of the i mean this could within the next year or two i bet we see a problem with the monetary union a big problem the european experiment is dead so a digital euro being an emblem of ongoing process of european integration it's going the other way it's already disintegrating so anyways moving on crypto assets pose risks this part gets into how little they actually know about bitcoin and what they want to do this digital euro how much they how little they know about these concepts but what about bitcoin or other crypto assets that have been trying to gain a foothold in the digital payments space and to anchor trust in their technology oh bitcoin digital payment space people bitcoin is not trying to get a foothold in the digital payment space it's not about payments it's about being money bitcoin's use case is the uh, separation of money from trusted third parties period censorship resistant transactions putting transactions making them censorship resistant outside the reach of a trusted third party period a fixed supply putting the monetary policy outside of the reach of a trusted third party period it's not gaining a foothold in digital payments and if it is it's a byproduct of being money of being better money period oh my goodness okay let's continue before i go crazy innovations like oh man distributed ledger technology dlt in particular blockchain which is at the core of crypto assets such as bitcoin bring both new opportunities and new risks i think it's funny how she's signaling that she knows oh blockchain is a sub uh is just one type of dlt she's like signaling that she understands that oh man they are so they have so far to go let's move on before i lose it <laughs> so transactions between peers occur directly with no need for a trusted third party intermediary bingo that's right the trust that is usually inherent in a transaction is replaced by cryptographic proofs and the security and integrity of records is ensured by dlt which avoids the double spending problem nevertheless trust is not entirely dispensable okay this is just flat wrong here the security integrity of the records is provided by decentralization and proof of work it is not provided by the technology itself dlt all right dlt can only be secure 
against or resistant against malicious actors, secure against malicious actors, if it's decentralized and has proof of work. And that and and it's the decentralization and proof of work puts it outside of control. So you know, and that can that control can be programmatic or political. Political is another way. So you can even have very good like cryptographic security, you can have very good decentralization and all of that stuff. But if your upgrades, there's any sort of authority over how it, how it functions, whether that's a board, like a board, a Ethereum foundation, or if that's a, the federal reserve board or it's Congress, you know, that is a possible malicious actor. See, it's, it's the lack of the ability to change it that gives it the security and the integrity. And that lack of ability to change it comes from decentralization and proof of work. It doesn't matter how many nodes you have on a network if they're subordinate to a central party in any way. And that includes politically. You can, as long as there is a central party, you cannot ensure the integrity of the records. It's exactly opposite of what she's saying. Let's continue because I think she goes on here again, same thing. The main risk lies in relying purely on technology and the flawed concept of there being no identifiable issuer or claim. Yes, once again, she's saying that it's a flawed concept to not have an identifiable issuer, but that is the only way that you can make it secure and you can have the trust in the integrity of the system. That's the only way to have any trust in the integrity of the system, or else you have trust in the third party that is going to tell you what the integrity of the system is. Just like if, think of this, if, if you had a central board and they were deciding the properties of gold, if they could manipulate that metal, would that build more or less trust in that metal? Well, it would build less trust because you're fidgeting with things. The more you fidget with a money or a good, the less trust it will innately have. One of the reasons why gold has had trust for so long is because alchemy is not real. You know, if alchemy were real, gold would never have built the trust that it has. Same with Bitcoin. The point is to put it outside of the possibility of control. Just like gold's atomic number. Plus, I mean, she's saying relying on technology. Well, it's the same technology that they would rely on for CBDCs or DLT. So that's just a moot point. Continuing, this also means that users cannot rely on crypto assets maintaining a stable value. They are highly volatile, illiquid, and speculative, and so do not fulfill all the functions of money. Okay, I, I mean, I could say a lot about that, but I'm just going to keep going. I need to get through this. Recently, we have seen the emergence of stable coins, which try to solve crypto assets' problem of lack of liquidity and trust by pegging their assets to stable and trusted fiat money issued by states. And the issuers of global stablecoins, which target a global footprint, further aim to introduce their own payment schemes and clearing and settlement arrangements. Although stablecoins could drive additional innovation in payments and be well integrated into social media, trade, and other platforms, they pose serious risks. If widely adopted, they could threaten financial stability and monetary sovereignty. There it is. She's terrified. She's scared that... Europe will lose to a digital dollar or a digital yen or a digital yuan. So they are, they're worried about this. Okay. 
for instance, if the issuer cannot guarantee a fixed value, or if they have perceived as being less incapable of absorbing losses, a run could occur. <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> Free market could work. A run could occur. Well, plus, like, how good are they at guaranteeing a fixed value? Look at the euro today. It's deflating so bad, they're getting crushed. They're getting crushed. Kind of fixed value. They can't guarantee fixed value for their currency either. And they can never have, remember, you can never have integrity of the money unless you get rid of the trusted third party. Additionally, using stablecoins as a store of value could trigger a large shift of bank deposits to stablecoins, which may have an impact on banks and the transmission of monetary policy. So here is their fear again. Uh, they want to be able to protect the banks. They think that these U.S. dollar stablecoins could threaten their monetary sovereignty and hurt banks and their economy, their like financial economy over there in Europe. Um, stablecoins in general could hurt banks. So it's funny that people say, oh, these CBDCs are going to be war on banks. But right here she's saying she's still trying to protect banks. Central banks serve the banks. She says using stablecoins could trigger a large shift of bank deposits to stablecoins, which would have bad effects. So she's backing up banks. She's backing up the use of banks away from stablecoins, which, guess what? Stablecoins use banks as their reserve. Like uh, Tether, you know, they have these secret bank accounts all over the world. They, have, they use banks just the same as other people. So it's kind of a silly argument, but it points out the fact that, no, this argument for a digital euro and for CBDCs is not a way to take on banks. It's a way to protect banks in a way. Continuing, stablecoins, particularly those backed by global technology firms, the big techs, could also pose risks, present risks to competitiveness and technological autonomy in Europe, as they would attempt to leverage their competitive advantage and control a large platforms. Their dominant position may harm competition and consumer choice and raise concerns over data privacy and the misuse of personally identifiable information. She's trying to introduce here this concern for privacy. So the reason why a digital euro would be good is because of what she say here, uh, competition and consumer choice and privacy. Look, you need us. You need the digital euro. This is what we do for you. When all of that is just crazy, you would have the same competition. You'd have better competition and better consumer choice. If you use the digital dollar, okay, if you use the US dollar tether or you use Bitcoin. And then again, privacy here. Again, they're, they're saying that they can control your privacy when it is proven over and over again, government cannot control your information. They are not good stewards of your information. Plus, guess who's the biggest exploiter in the world of that private identifiable information? Governments. They send you a tax bill. They want to be able to exploit you. They want their tax base. They want their monetary sovereignty over their own tax base. That's what they want here. And yes, it's an existential threat to the European Union. It is. Continuing, money is memory. In general, end users prioritize ease of use and smooth integration with other apps or services and therefore welcome new solutions in exchange for providing their personal data. No, 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 no. The goalposts here are moved again. They're shifting from the three functions of money. Now it's about 
um, volatility and integration, the ease of use and smooth integration with other apps and services. That is now the thing, not the three functions of money. Means of payment is not a function of money. It's medium of exchange. If the priority is ease of use and smooth integration, it's not a government that you want to put that in. <laughs> you don't want to put that in the hands of government. The market does that very well, very, very well. That's what it does is it smooths out integration and ease of use. Not government. They make it harder. Government re regulation is designed to get in the way, people. It's designed to get in the way. Public authorities are open to innovation and are prepared to act as catalysts for change while implementing appropriate policy measures to ensure this innovation helps consumers rather than hindering them. Get out of the way. Just get out of the way. They are scared. Okay, they are scared that she's trying to justify their existence. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really silly. Continuing. Payment providers and their payment solutions must be subject to appropriate regulation and oversight. Oh, really? Great. In accordance with the principle of same business, same risks, same rules. To protect users and safeguard the stability of the economy against new risks that even go beyond financial ones. They are so scared, man. They, they are trying to push this that they need oversight. It's get out of the way. Okay, so now you're saying you want regulation and oversight, but oh, you're going to users prioritize ease of use and smooth integration. But now you're talking about regulation and oversight. You see how those things don't go together. I need a few more minutes of quiet, please. All right. Sorry about that. I had to take a quick break. I am back here to finish this up. There's only a few more paragraphs, but there's some good stuff here at the end. So let's continue. Some say that money is memory, and it seems that this memory is becoming increasingly digital. But consumers' digital data and records must not be misused. Thank you, government. <laughs> government is the biggest exploiter of the consumer. Uh, the abuse of personal information for commercial or other purposes, like taxes, could endanger privacy and harm competition. These and other potential risks are being assessed by the Eurosystem and European institutions. At the same time, public authorities must balance the benefits and risks of innovation in payments and be prepared to take a leading role in ensuring that payments remain efficient, safe, and inclusive in the digital age. All right, guys, think about this for a second. The government that is horrible at innovation doesn't know what a profit motive is to providing quality products to customers. They, they think that they can make payments efficient, safe, and inclusive when they are the ones that are standing in our way and confiscating our money all the time. It just, obviously, I know that she is a statist and they have this cognitive dissonance, but I'm just saying, this is their narrative. As the economy continues to evolve and new expectations about the nature of money emerge, the euro system must be ready to respond and ensure that European payments adapt to changing consumer preferences and remain inclusive and efficient. Despite all the changes I have mentioned, the foundations of money remain intact. Yes, let's finish it out strong. 
bolster our belief in that you are keeping it uh, intact and strong. People accept money only if it is highly trusted. We showed how it's not that. Maintains its value. Uh, we showed how government money does not maintain its value. And respects privacy. And we showed how they don't respect privacy. An aspect that is becoming increasingly important in the digital age. These foundations have been and will continue to be found in central bank money, irrespective of the form it takes in the future. Okay, and that's it, guys. So my big takeaways here are that the ECB is kind of scared that they're going to lose market share uh, to maybe a digital dollar or digital yuan or yen, and that they don't want to give up monetary sovereignty. But of course, you know, they're arguing from a inferior position because if there was a legitimate need or demand for a digital euro, the market would provide it just like they're providing a digital dollar. But again, there's like one one thousandth the demand for a digital euro, at least a stable coin euro. There's all sorts of digital euros out there, right? And there's all sorts of uh, payments out there. She started this by saying means of exchange was one of the functions of money. And I don't think that was a mistake because she's trying to combine medium of exchange and means of payment into one thing when it is not. Slowly but surely, they will realize this. You know, it's going to take them years at least to bring a CBDC to market. And in that time, they will learn a lot of lessons. Just like people that came in in 2015 and they were all about blockchain, they, it took them a year or two to learn that that was a mistake. It's going to take these central bankers the same amount of time. And we get to watch it all live. <laughs> so anyway, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Check out the Bitcoin Dictionary at bitcoindictionary.cc and become a member at bitcoinandmarkets.com to help support my content. All right. See you next time. Thank you.